0: I wanted to take this moment to tell you about a program I am in that helps women navigate the journey of realizing their lesbians while in relationships with men. It's a 12-week support program called Coming Out on the Other Side. It is hosted by one of my early podcast guests, Emily Better. Some of the topics include the three stages of coming out later in life, understanding why you didn't figure this out sooner, and why this is so hard. You will go from being scared, confused, lacking confidence, hiding your true self, and feeling alone, guilty, and misunderstood, to overcoming fears, understanding and embracing who you are, being confident in yourself and your decisions, and ultimately being able to come out and live as your authentic self if and when you're ready. Learn more by going to thelatelifelesbian.com. Welcome to the Lesbian Honest Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John. And my guest today is the author of Loves God, Likes Girls, and Affirming a Memoir of Faith, Sexuality, and Staying in the Church. She is also the founder of Centerpiece, an organization for LGBTQIA Christians and Allies. Welcome to the show, Sally Gary.
1: Oh, thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Basically, I found out about you through your books. I started reading your books shortly after I started the divorce process. I started reading your books, and then I think in one of them, it was talking about how you're in Dallas and you have the centerpiece, and I was like, oh, let me look into that. So then I looked into centerpiece, and I was like, oh, that's in Dallas. And then So I've been to a couple of events and just love the community that you're forming there. I know I gave a brief intro, but would love to hear more of your story.
1: Oh, wow. How long do you have? Because I'm old. So my story is getting longer and longer every time I tell it. I grew up back in the 60s and 70s. Grew up in a a North Texas town, Wichita Falls, Texas. My mom and dad were good stalwart depression era kids who worked hard and and were good people took me to church every time the doors were open we were part of a church of christ congregation there in wichita falls the 10th and broad church of christ and and i grew up being taught that that my church family was truly family to me that this community of fellow Christ followers was like my my family. And being an only child as I was, that was really important to me. So I took church seriously. I took learning the stories of Jesus seriously and was baptized at a very early age. I was 11 years old and and took that very seriously at the time. I grew up in a home that taught me that God comes first in everything that we do. There were also problems in my home. My father had not grown up in a Christian home and had grown up in a home that was neglectful in a lot of ways. He experienced a a lot of feelings of being unwanted, unloved in his early childhood and growing up but he wrestled with a temper that got out of control and turned into rage. And I grew up really craving his attention and his approval and also being very fearful of him. It was difficult in that respect. My mom tried to keep us all together and tried to do her best to teach me that God comes first and that following Jesus is the most important thing I'll ever do in my life. And she did, a, she did a really good job of that. Both of my parents were involved in church work and taught Sunday school. And we had people over in our home constantly. I learned a lot about hospitality and taking people in, standing up for the underdog in my growing up years. So there there are far more things that I am grateful for in that experience but I also know what it means to keep secrets in a family and to not talk about the things that are hard that are difficult to just kind of move past it and never talk about it as though it doesn't exist and it will go away and I learned as I got into my adult years that it doesn't go away. As I was growing up, I realized that there was something different about me. I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I didn't know. At the time, it was, it was the 70s when I was coming of age and the early 80s, and, and there was no talk of homosexuality except in very hushed tones at best. At worst, people in jokes and calling people slurs in the worst of hearing hateful condemnation, and especially in, in church circles, hearing those words of condemnation coming from Christians that I looked up to and respected. I didn't know at the time that I was gay. We just talk about such things. And so it wasn't until my junior year of college that I began to realize, oh, my goodness, Sally, these feelings that you have for your best friend go far beyond just friendship. This is what all the songs on the radio are about. It finally clicked with me that I was attracted to women. I had absolutely no idea what to do with that. It was the early 80s, and like I said, nobody was having any conversation whatsoever. It was right before the AIDS crisis that I was in college and trying to, to come to terms with my own sexuality. I was at a Christian university. I had no desire whatsoever to ask questions, to take that to anyone. And so I kept everything bottled up inside. I never ever came out to anyone. It was 15 years later after I had gone to graduate school and coached school speech and debate for 10 years. And then I kind of lined and decided I wanted to go to law school. So I went to law school. It was there in the middle of law school that I realized for the first time that I was just repeating a vicious cycle of falling in love with a dear friend and not knowing what to do with that, not being able to, to act on those feelings. They had absolutely no idea the depth of my feelings. And so I, I was just stuck time and time again and absolutely miserable. And it was as though I could hear God saying to me, Sally, honey, I want you to tell somebody, I don't want you to carry this anymore by yourself. And so it was that time that I I still was chicken. I I was going to carry this secret to my grave. So I thought I would just sit down and write out a letter. And I wrote out a letter and shared everything with God, poured my heart out to Him. What I did realize from that letter was that God was big enough to handle all of my feelings, all of my confusion and my anger, my not understanding why me and not understanding what to do with this, all of my confusion. So that was a wonderful thing. It was also wonderful that I finally got the courage to share with somebody. I called, uh, called a counselor because at that time there, there had to be something wrong with me, right? And so I, I needed to talk to somebody to work this out. But I'm really glad that I went where I did because that man received me like Jesus would. He didn't turn me away. He never changed the way he related to me. He certainly didn't get a Bible out and start going through the Bible verses with me. He knew that I knew the Bible as well as he did and that I knew what was there. And that was a great source of my confusion at the time, trying to figure out what God wanted for my life. I didn't know. But I knew that I was tired of keeping secrets. I was tired of holding things in. I was miserable as a result of that. I'll never forget on the way there, driving. I was at Texas Tech Law at the time, and so I drove. He he was in Dallas, and I drove from Lubbock to Dallas over icy roads. It was December And I drove over the ice thinking, you know, Sally, you could just run your car off the road here, just run through those guardrails down that embankment, and nobody would ever have to know. Nobody would ever figure out that Sally Gary, the good little Church of Christ girl, is gay. Your parents won't have to be embarrassed. Your parents won't have to ever know. Nobody will ever know. You can just end it all. I remember listening to a Christmas album I had at the time. It was Amy Grant's Christmas album, and she sang the song Breath of Heaven, Hold Me Together, Be Forever Near Me, and I rewound that. It was an old cassette tape, and I just kept rewinding it over and over, and that's what kept me on the road. It's what got me to this counselor's office. And the most beautiful thing is when I did come out to him, he was wise enough to say thank you for sharing something so deep with me. And he invited me to come back. He said, can, can you come back and, and let's just talk some more? Just tell me some more about what life has been like for you. And of course, that was the invitation I needed. And I'm thankful for all those trips that I made. I'm thankful for that therapy. I'm thankful that when I came out to my mom and dad about six months later, that they joined me. And and we went through a lot of therapy together. It was therapy that we needed because there were things in my family that needed to be worked through. And at the time, yeah, you no know, the the big thought in Christian world was that there surely has to be something wrong with your family and that's why you're gay right and so my hope was at the time well I'll just get this worked out I'll work on my relationship with my dad and and we'll get things better and and then I won't be gay anymore well guess what we did that we spent years working on our relationship. And I'm thankful for that because today he's 93 years old and I'm his primary caretaker. He lives in an independent living facility, but I'm the one who takes care of getting his groceries and his prescriptions and talks to him every day. And we have we have a good relationship that I never thought possible at that time. But at the end of all that therapy, I was still gay. Those feelings didn't go away. And so I began to realize, okay, there's more to this. There's a lot more to this. It's much more complex than I ever realized. And that's what put me on another journey to learn more about what it means to be gay and Christian. I listened to a lot of folks over the years. I knew that they needed a place to talk just like I did. And so from there was born the Ministry of Centerpiece. It was founded in 2006, and I've been the executive director ever since then. So for 17 years, I've been listening to people's stories and working with other parents and working with pastors of churches who have helped me know more about what scripture says, what life is like for people who. Identify as LGBTQ, and I've learned so much from other people's experiences over the years. I've learned so much about God and the expansiveness of God's love, and just a much more expansive picture of what the kingdom of God can be. And so, in the last decade, I grew to become affirming of same sex relationships. And two and a half years ago, well, I would say three and a half, four years ago, I met a woman on Twitter named Karen Keen. I started following her tweets. She started, she was tweeting about her love of scripture. And I realized very quickly, this woman knows her stuff. She is a Bible scholar and indeed she is. And so that, piqued my interest and we started following each other on Twitter, that great dating app, Twitter. And from there we had a phone call and a meeting over dinner and decided that we would begin dating and see what God might have for us in a relationship that was more than friendship. And two and a half years ago we got married in December of the pandemic. It was not the church wedding that we wanted, but we're planning to renew those vows probably at a five or 10-year anniversary and have the, the church wedding that we would have had had it not been for COVID-19. So that's that's me in a in a not-so-brief nutshell.
0: Wow. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing. I actually didn't know the story of how y'all met, so that's kind of funny that it's Y'all met online, but through an unconventional way.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, yes.
0: Can you kind of explain more about how you went from, and I, and I hear it referred to as side B and side A. So side B, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, is where you finally acknowledge and accept that you're gay, but you remain celibate. Mm-hmm. Whereas side B, or side A, is affirming, where you do have relationships and Potentially marriage with the same sex. How did you go from what was that process like going from side B to side A?
1: I think it's best described as a a lifelong process because for me, as a a devout Christian who is pretty orthodox in all of, of my views, I rely on scripture for a guide to my life and how to live. And so I started learning about Scripture. When did I get my first Bible? I carried one around when I was just a toddler and couldn't read it. I got that first King James in, I was about eight years old, maybe, when I got my first Bible. Got a Harper Study Bible, a Revised Standard Version at the age of 14, and another New International Version. For Christmas, I mean the the family that's the heritage that I come from, and so I learned a very traditional way of interpreting scripture that was probably very literal, and yet there were parts that I learned over the years to not take so literally that were more figurative, or would, as Karen would say, a wooden reading of scripture. And so it's hard for me to capsulize how I became affirming because it requires sharing how I came to see Scripture differently. Because if Scripture had not made sense to me in being affirming of same-sex relationships, I could not have become affirming myself. I could not have moved where I believed that I was called to a life of celibacy to side A, where I believe that same-sex marriage in a covenant, in a faithful, monogamous covenant relationship can be honoring to God. That's where I am. Now, that's what my book Affirming was all about. I wrote a, a previous memoir called Loves God Likes Girls in 2013, and I was already personally on my way to becoming fully affirming at that time. But I wrote that for a a tribe of people whom I love, who I know needed a slower process. And so everything I wrote in there was the truth, is the truth of where I was at that time. And yet my second memoir, Affirming a Memoir of Faith, Sexuality, and Staying in the Church, is a collection of stories that I wrote, honestly, for my mom. My mom passed away nearly 10 years ago, and I knew that if she was here, she would be the one to want me to explain to her, Sally, how did you get where you are? Show me how you got there. Show me where in the Bible this says. Now, Affirming is not uh, an exegetical book. It, It does not explicitly look at scripture. And yet, the stories that I tell in there are very theologically based. There's some big theological concepts that are explored through narrative. And so, To say that it's just a book of stories, yeah, it's just a book of stories, but those are important stories that show how over time and over the years I have come to see Scripture differently. And some people will hear that and say, yeah, she just just made Scripture say what she wanted it to say. I think if I had wanted to do that, I might have done that a long time ago. It wasn't until I read a book by James Brownson called Bible, Gender, and Sexuality that I was able to reconcile scripture with being affirming of same-sex marriage. That was the book that tipped me over the edge. Prior to that time, I think I was, I was like so many people I certainly knew from my own experience and I look back and I realize it was easier for me to be single when I was younger. There's kind of an irony there. There's a huge sexual drive there that when people say, I just made scripture to say what it, well, let me just tell you, if, if there was motivation For me to make scripture say what I wanted it to say, that would have been in my 20s and 30s. But from a companionship level, I don't know. I compensated in my earlier life for a lot of loneliness that I realize now was sheer loneliness. I worked constantly. I worked hard. I poured myself into teaching and coaching speech and debate teams and winning everything that we possibly could. I look back on that and realize that a lot of that was compensating for the extreme loneliness that I felt. I was always a member of a a church. It wasn't that, and it wasn't just going and sitting in the pews. I was teaching classes. I was part of a small group. I was volunteering and active in those churches of which I was a member. There's never been a time that I've been away from church, but I was extremely lonely. And I think as I got into my 40s and my 50s, I began to realize, oh my goodness, this doesn't get any easier. In fact, this gets harder because this is more about sharing life with somebody and having a home with somebody and planning vacations together and where you're going to spend the holidays and how you're going to get through this hard situation at work or that difficult thing at church. So I began to long even more for that kind of relationship that was about sharing lives. That was motivation for me to look deeper. Karen wrote a book in 2018 called Scripture, Ethics, and the Possibility of Same-Sex Relationships. And I think That book goes even deeper into an exploration of scripture that Brownson does not. It's miraculous because it's more concise than Brownson's book, but it actually gives you more. And so I would strongly recommend it, not just trying to sell one of my wife's books, but I think it's probably the best book out there for someone who comes from a tradition of highly regarding scripture. That would have been that would have been the only thing that would have moved me one iota.
0: Yeah, I, and I've read both of the books that you're mentioning, and they're both great. I, I feel like I've read probably at least thirty books on the topic. The one I'm yep. actually currently reading by Kathy Baldock.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: That one is so good.
1: Walking the Bridgeless Canyon.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like how in that book she. She talks about the the scriptural stuff, but also like the psychological, biological, scientific, political—you know, just everything. It like covers all. Yeah. The pieces. <laughs> yeah. And then centerpiece, as far as I understand it, you started that back when you were a side B. Then you became side A, got married. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that that kind of created sure. rift, I suppose whatever you want to share with that. People being okay with the fact you're gay, but not okay with being affirming of relationships.
1: That's been a, a challenge because the tradition that I come from, the beauty of Churches of Christ is that they are autonomous. And yet sometimes that's hard in itself too. But I think For the most part, it's a good thing. It allows local churches to govern things the way they see fit. And so it was hard for some of those churches to even grasp someone being gay and Christian, someone identifying as gay. And there are still churches. There are still very conservative. And this is the broad Christian community churches that do not believe that someone can be gay and Christian. That's hard when you're faced with that. But then for those people who got on board with, yes, you can be gay and Christian, but we believe scripture calls you to a life of celibacy, a life of aloneness. I had a a hard time with my becoming, affirming, my moving from side B to side A. And yet, I know many, many Christians who have made that move, have really delved into Scripture and have looked at different interpretations, have looked at translation issues that I certainly was not made aware of when I was growing up that are, are relatively new. And so that work is ongoing that continues. I like to focus on the people that have been drawn to centerpiece because I moved to side A. The people who have said, perhaps there is a place for us with God. Perhaps there is a community of faith to which we can belong, who have given Christianity another try because of that. That's where my heart is. And I want to focus on building spiritual community for LGBTQ Christians and nurturing the faith, especially of the generations that are coming behind me. That's where I want to focus my time and attention. That's certainly where my heart is.
0: Yeah. And I love the ministry and so thankful that I found it and especially thankful that it's in Dallas, and that I can go to these twice-a-month gatherings. And I've already made a couple of pretty good friends, Marissa good. and Jen. And yeah. And I've hung out with both of them, I would say, at least two or three times since meeting them. Oh, that's
1: wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. That's That's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, because, not to get too into my story, but I lost a lot of friends. Like, at least ten I can count maybe more, just in the recent months because of just all of this. And so it, it's nice to have a community that's understanding, who's been there, and and not even just gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, but like allies as well.
1: Yes. So
0: that's encouraging yes. as well. So for people who don't know about Centerpiece, can you explain more about the difference? because I know you have retreats, you have retreats, you have Of course, the monthly meetups and all.
1: Goodness. Since 2009, we've been doing a a big national conference. We started out in, in little bitty West Texas in Abilene, Texas, and we had about 100 people at the Highland Church of Christ in 2009, and it was wonderful. And from there, we have grown. We had a conference that doubled in size in 2013 in San Antonio. And then starting in 2016, we've been doing the conference every other year in Dallas. And so this past November in 2022, we were at Wilshire Baptist Church, which is a fully open and affirming Baptist church. They're part of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. They were removed from the Southern Baptist Convention, but they are fully open and affirming. And it was just a wonderful place. We had about a little over 500 people in person and then a hundred people online. And it was, it was just incredible three days of worship together and breakout sessions, keynote speakers like Matthew Vines and Justin Lee, Stacy Frennis, who is a musician who's also a mom of an LGBTQ child. And so it was just a, it was a wonderful gathering. In addition to the conference, we do retreats that are much more intimate. We try to do a retreat in Texas every year for LGBTQ Christians. It's called Tapestry. It's taken out of that verse in Colossians 2 two in the message where Paul says, I want you woven into a tapestry of God's love. And so that's what we we try to do, is to build spiritual community there and to nurture the faith of those LGBTQ Christians come to the retreat. It's only 15 to 20 people who gather, but we do one in Texas and then one in Tennessee. So coming up in November, November 10th and 12th of 2023, we'll have a tapestry retreat and just outside of Nashville, Tennessee in Spencer near Fall Creek Falls State Park. That'll be right after the Reformation Project conference. I'll do a shameless plug for the Reformation Project. October 26th through the 28th is also in Nashville, and that would be another great event. We have a a sweet relationship with the Reformation Project, and we alternate our conferences back and forth every other year, so come join us for that, too. We do another event called Peace Prince that is for parents of LGBTQ plus individuals. And that's a weekend retreat from Friday evening to Sunday afternoon. The next one will be October 6th through the 8th. It's going to be in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas. Well, more central, I guess, Lake Fort Smith State Park. We have a lodge there and cabins, and so that'll be a a great opportunity for parents to just come and be loved on, help us better understand what it's like to be LGBTQ and how they can support their children, whatever age they are. We have parents whose children have just come out to them. They may be teenagers Or we have parents of much older LGBTQ individuals. So wherever you are in that journey, we just want to love on parents and help you live into supporting your LGBTQ child.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's great that you have different types of events, different locations, and then Mm -hmm. one for parents as well. I mean, there's resources for the actual LGBTQ people, but not usually. One's for parents of them, so I think that's great. Right. started that as well. I'm curious, what is your, I guess, opinion on the church as a general whole and this issue? Do you feel like every year it's probably getting a little bit better? I don't know. But do you feel like there's going to be a day where all the churches are affirming and they all come together and they all get it? Kind of like with the slavery issue, for example?
1: I pray there is. That is my prayer. And I believe that is God's desire for all of us to come to his table, to be in fellowship with each other. I believe that is God's heart. And so I want to believe that that will come to pass. Every day, I see signs of our moving forward closer to that kingdom If you will, and yet there's still a lot of work to be done. Every day I am encouraged by somebody who says, Sally, I want to know how I can help. I was encouraged greatly by a a former colleague that I had taught with at Abilene Christian University contacting me and saying, I want to know how we can bring centerpiece to our church. I want to know how we can host a, a retreat here at at our church those kinds of things give me great hope for the future and when i look back and i realize that 10 20 certainly 30 years ago this this didn't exist you and i would not be having this conversation in even with the loud lawnmower in the background. It's not going to stop the conversation from happening. That gives me great hope, and we have to hold on to that. Just 25-plus just years ago, when I came out, this resource did not exist, and it has made a difference in the lives of many, many people who otherwise would have given up on family, on church, on their very lives, let's be honest, but they're here and they're faithful and their families are still connected. That is moving forward and we have to hold on to that. We have to celebrate that. We cannot forget that. We cannot get bogged down in the naysayers who still exist, in the folks whose fear is still so great that they can't say, would it be possible to look at something differently? Would it be possible to consider that this is my daughter, my son, my niece, my nephew, my cousin, my uncle, my aunt. I know this person. Maybe there's something more to this, and maybe I need to study together and go back to scripture and and ask the Lord to show us. Is there another way? Is there another way to create space for everyone at the table? That's what gets me up in the morning. It's what keeps me going. It's what has been the greatest passion of my life for the last 17 years. And not even a loud lawnmower will keep me from stopping talking about it.
0: Well, fortunately, it's not too loud on my end. Um, Good. It's very loud over here. Oh, wow. Yeah, I feel like the few people that still hold the traditional view that I've told and then I'll point out resources like books that I've read and Centerpiece and all these things, Reformation Project, it's like they don't even they don't even want to take the time. I almost feel like maybe they're afraid of realizing that they're wrong or that yes. they're because then I guess now they have to maybe deal with coming out as affirming or something to their church, their family or their friends. I mean, I don't know. And, and this is probably a subconscious thing. They might not even realize all of that. But the fact that they're not even willing to do the research type thing, it's frustrating because it's like the information is out there.
1: Yeah, that, that is. It is frustrating. I know myself and I remember where I was. I remember being so afraid of getting it wrong, of having this view of God's love for me, of God's desire, of the way God works in my life that ultimately said, you've got to get it right, Sally, before you can be all right with God. You have to get it right instead of realizing that I am saved by the utter total grace of God that Jesus has taken care of all of that and when we get that then it frees us up to say show me more God show me more of your love for people and people will say well yes Sally God loves everybody but what if we replace that but with and Began to allow ourselves to ask those hard questions. Is there more to this? Just the fundamental realization that I did not choose my sexuality was monumental, right? When you realize that someone does not choose to be gay, that's a game changer because then you realize, oh, wait a second, all the stereotypes that I believed, I can't believe those anymore. I can't believe that this person has just fallen off the deep end and doesn't believe in God anymore, it doesn't really take their faith seriously. Oh, oh no, there are many of us within the LGBTQ community. In fact, the vast majority of us have been raised in devoutly Christian homes who take our faith incredibly seriously and want to hold on to that. It's been the rejection, it's been the being the outcast from our families and our churches that has created such hurt, pain, that people have walked away. But for most of us, the people that I talk to more often say to me, where can I go to church, Sally? I just want a church that's like the church that I grew up in, but that will accept me, that will accept me and my husband, me and my wife, and let us use the gifts that God has given us. That's what I find people wanting more and more. I say to folks who were scared like I was, ask somebody to read one of those books with you. Start with something easy. Start with Justin Lee's Torn. And ask somebody that you really trust, a pastor, a church leader, somebody that you know and believe knows the Bible. And ask them to read that with you. Read Matthew Vine's God and the Gay Christian. Read through all of those books and ask the hard question. But read with someone. That's what I did. I asked people to read with me. I'll be honest, there were times I had a hard time and people to agree to read with me. And so I began to rely on pastors that I knew who had studied this ahead of me, pastors I trusted, pastors from my own tribe, and they had reached a different conclusion. And while that might not have been made public, I trusted their guidance. I understand what it's like to be afraid and to sincerely desire to not do anything that's displeasing to God. I take that very seriously. So if that's where a listener is, I would encourage them to read with somebody you trust, but keep exploring because if you know someone who's gay, who loves God, who wants nothing but to serve God and to please God, that alone ought to be motivation to get us to look
0: deeper. And I think that's a good place to close. Yeah. I, I think that's a great idea. I haven't done that myself, but I should do that. Encourage people. To, well, so my family doesn't know yet. And so I'm kind of figuring out how to go about that and when. But I have all these books that are highlighted, like very, and I'm I'm almost reading it from the lens of on this page or this chapter or whatever would really stand out to them or to somebody. Anyway, so when that day comes and they have the reaction that I presume that they will have, I will just like plop down 30 books and be like, here. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have the stamina or patience to plant. But yeah, I think that idea of This is a great idea. <laughs> so people can find you at centerpeace.net. That's um, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, peace. P E A C E dot net. And then your yes, book.
1: yes like man
0: Yeah. Instead of like a piece of a pie or um,
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: And uh not almost...
1: flowers in the middle of the table.
0: Right. Were there any last words that you wanted to say?
1: Oh goodness. I am so, so glad to know you, Sarah. I so appreciate your having me on today. I appreciate the work you're doing and the conversations you're having, and I'm so glad that you are a part of our Centerpiece family now. I just hope that our family grows and grows and grows, and that people come to know how much they are loved by God because we exist.
0: Well, thank you, and I, I'm so thankful to have met you and been involved in Centerpiece, and I can't wait for the future of it and the other many friends that I will meet. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I invite you to dive deeper into conversations from this podcast. Join our community on Slack. Here, you can connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, and engage in meaningful discussions. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be answered on the podcast. Together, let's build a supportive space and shape the future of the show. Join us at lesbihonest.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.